Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. I want to welcome Joe Keegan from Moneyball Lacrosse onto the Philacrosophy podcast. Joe, welcome aboard. I've really uh, been impressed with your work over the last number of years, and um, getting to know you has been great. You're a true uh, expert in the game and as big of a lacrosse nerd as, as I would consider myself being, and uh, I love talking to you about lacrosse, so welcome on board. Appreciate you having me, Jamie. Awesome, man. So um, let's uh, let's let people kind of know a little bit about you. Um, for, for those of you guys that are listening in, if you have not checked out moneyballlacrosse.com, it's truly one of the best sites out there uh, for taking this combination of, of um, subjective and objective looking looks at the game. Um, and so give us a little bit of a, a rundown on how you came up with this um, and how it all works and your role and all that. Yeah, so it probably started um, back, so I went to high school in Massachusetts, played in high school, didn't play in college, I went to Boston College, but I wanted to find ways to stay involved in the game. Uh, I interned with the Boston Cannons, and one of the things that, one of my roles with the Cannons was to write the post-game press release, and I would write the post-game press release, and there was really not much to talk about other than the box score. I would aggregate, you know, all the news articles about the Cannons throughout the week. Um, and they were all kind of saying the same thing. You know, Matt Posque had three goals. Paul Rabel had, you know, a goal and two assists. And every site was – there were, you know, four or five sites covering the games, but all kind of saying the same things. And I wanted to bring a new voice to the conversation. So I was looking at a lot of what was going on in basketball. Um, I, I think basketball over the last few years has just – had a huge growth in, you know, the, the number of different conversations that are happening. Sure, there are dunks that go viral or, you know, the video clips play really well on social media, but there's also really good conversations going on related to, like, the value of a corner three or, um, you know, a mid-range jumper being one of the least efficient shots. How do you get more shots at the rim and more threes and I guess basketball would, knew what types of shots they wanted to get, and they were working towards that, like Maury Ball was starting. What I wanted to do was take a look at what's happening in lacrosse and see, you know, what are some of the shots that we take too much of or what are the shots that aren't be taken enough? Um, where, you know, where are the inefficiencies that we can cut and the efficiencies that we can try to uh, expand on? So cool. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. So cool. Uh, last week, I, I spoke with Mike Mobison, who's an analytics guru in the in really his in the, his day job is is in investment strategy and and uh, um, and, and his hobby is lacrosse and I know <laughs> your your day job is different than your hobby too and 
I just love, I love the fact that everybody is willing to put so much time into the sport. Um, and really you're helping drive it forward. Um, when we think about, you know, this balance between sub subjectivity and objectivity, um, it's really interesting to me too, because, you know, with Jam Free Sports, this new company I've started, I'm working so much with film and I've started to look at film of players, film of games, film of practices. And I've also been looking at, you know, the actual analytics behind it. And um, I know that's a huge part of moneyballlacrosse.com. I went on there today and went through every single one of your guys, one of your, your pieces that are on that, that homepage. And so much of it has really nice analysis, but it also follows it up with, really cool stats and so I just want to you know let you talk a little bit more about that yeah so I think the in terms of stats and video I think the two go hand in hand you can take the stats and try to come to conclusions or at times the stats can you know provide you with more questions than answers uh, like, yeah so true um, it, yeah you find you find a stat you know that uh, is trending upward or trending downward, a recent trend. And, you know, my first thought isn't to write it off as some like end all be all conclusion. It's, Hey, let's take a look at the film of, you know, these particular shots. Like if it's Paul Rabel um, shooting when he's dodging from the wing, as opposed to when he's dodging from up top, you know, let's take a look at his dodges from the wing, his dodges from the top. Let's see why there's a difference in the two. Let's see, how defenses are defending him from those spots, um, whether, you know, starting at one area of the field prevents him from getting his strong hand to the middle of the field. Uh, let's take a look at the trends. So I think the stats and the video really go hand in hand. No doubt. Cause the stats tell you a story of what worked and what didn't. And it's pretty cut and dry. Right. I mean, uh, and then when you look at that, then you can look at the video and then you can start to analyze and say, well, why, why did it work this time and why did it not work that time? What was different about the situation? Was it slightly how the defense played you? Was it the technique that you used? Was the goalie guessing? And all of a sudden you start to be able to put together all of these pieces that can help you, you know, make whatever scenario that you're looking at, you can, you can, you can analyze it. You can figure out if you can make it better or not. But the stats – do tell you some really interesting things. And you were talking about, you know, you did the color uh, for the Lizards Rattlers game uh, just last week, right? And yeah, you did a of, uh, sort of a bunch of homework on that. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that game and some of the conclusions that you came to, you know, particularly as it relates to Rob Pinnell and then any of the other stuff, because there's some really great information out there, particularly on the Rattlers. Yeah, so uh, in, as far as Rob Pinnell goes, one of the stats that I dug up for that game was how does he shoot in the pick and roll versus how does he shoot in the dodge? Uh, obviously, you know, he's a guy who's capable of creating his own shot for himself. His question mark is, I mean, he didn't invent it, but he perfected it. And he's much better at getting to that island in isolation situations than he is off the dodge. Off the, or I mean, sorry, off the pick and roll. Off the pick and roll, he's shooting 7%. Off isolation, he's shooting 38%. So prior to that game, I sat down and watched a bunch of his pick and rolls. And, you know, there's a couple of things that's happening. The Lizards pick location isn't great. It's at that kind of no man's land at X uh, behind the cage where 
the defense can get under and switch and get back on that matchup in time. Um, they can switch it or they can get under. Uh, and if they switch, then they often have time to flush out the mismatch. Um, so even though they're big littles and there might be a short stick on Rob Pinnell for a split second, uh, the, the number one defender in this case on Sunday night, it was Matt Dunn was getting back on that matchup in a hurry. Um, so it was having trouble producing him shots. And when it did produce him shots, I think it bounced him a little wider than he's used to going when he's in isolation. So in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, at a macro level, shots that are taken off of those two man games are better shots. You know, they have higher shooting percentages, but that might not be the case for every single player. So I think, you know, stats can bring out maybe not so much like a, like a PER metric, like in basketball where you try to rank players from top to bottom, like one through 100, but they can bring out, they can highlight the nuances in someone's game. You know, what's Rob Pinnell strong at? What's Jordan Wolf strong at? Jordan Wolf's a very good pick and roll player. Pinnell, more of an isolation guy. So interesting. And, that, and that's where you look at the stats and you're like, wow, you know, he's shooting 7% on, on his dodges out of the two-man game. And what was his shooting percentage off isolation? 38% off isolation. Yeah, which is like, that's a healthy number if you're shooting off the catch, yeah. you know. I mean, that's like a massive, massive difference. So, so yeah. now you look at that and now you say, okay, let's look at the video. You know, the pick location. So, you know, he, it's, not, it's not his fault if, if basically, you know, the, the pick isn't being set in a, posi- in a place where it's harder to, you know, to, to get under it, for example. I mean, like if it's set right at X, it's pretty easy to cut through the crease. If it's kind of ball side of X, it's a lot harder. It's similar to like a razor pick. They, they right. really run into a question of they have to run in a, in a very not straight line <laughs> to get there. Um, and uh, obviously the, uh, you know, maybe he could, you know, I think you mentioned that, hey, sometimes, you know, maybe he's got to like dodge away from the pick, you know, as we, as we named last year, shortcut the pick. And just like, you know, if the pick is set up for your left hand, sweep across the, across X, maybe you just cut to your right. Kind of like the way the Stanwicks were so great at, at doing that over the years. And, you know, so there's a lot of analysis that goes into it with the, with it as well as, as well as the stats, but the stats don't lie and the stats need to be looked at. And it's just fascinating stuff. So now, now let's talk, you know, you, you did mention on a macro level, what it's like, you know, in, in two-man game offense versus isolation, what, what, are those st- what are those stats? Yeah, so I dug this up, uh, the shooting percentage, and basically to give you the brief overview, we track every shot that's taken in a settle situation as either a dodger two-man game, and it was either initiated on the righty wing, the lefty wing, X, or up top. And over the last few years, we've been tracking these numbers since 2015. If you look at all those situations, so those eight situations, you know, two men on the right side, two men on the left side, uh, two men X, dodge X, all those, the two best actions in Major League Lacrosse have been two men games on the righty wing, two men games on the lefty wing. Two men on the righty wing is 33.2%. On the lefty wing is 32.7%. The only other actions that are above, you know, 30% 30% are two mans at X, uh, the dodges on the lefty wing, and two men up top. Dodges at X, dodges at top, those are the two worst actions, and they're the two most common actions. Um, so I guess there's a little part of that, you know, that those are the shots that are being taken the most, but we do have 
over those few years, a pretty big sample size that suggests that the two most rare actions, the two-man game on the righty wing and two-man game on the lefty wing, really box pairs concepts. Uh, the numbers suggest that those are the best actions. You know, not just not just the shooters on those side too, but any shot that's really generated by those actions, uh, they're you know producing, they're yielding the best shooting percentages. So, so you're you're measuring also. Let's just say there's a on the lefty wing, there's a two man game, and they're able to like swing it and make one more. You is that is that pat that those two passes later count as as a, as generated from that action? Yeah. It, so it's the action that really gets the defense moving. If there's a slide and the defense hasn't recovered, then that's still the action that started that shot, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's more valuable than knowing um, like what the guy who is standing there two passes away waiting for the ball was doing okay so so summarizing this you've got lefty and righty two-man action on the wings at you know 32 and 33 percent yeah you've got above you've got plus 30 percent uh on two-man from x and and by the way this two-man stuff we're talking about big little you know most of the time right so um so most of the time, yeah. You're not going to do big, big and have the same success, right? Um, and then it's still a 30% yield uh, on two-man out top? Yep. So yeah, two-man up top is still one of the top actions. And then as a dodging one-on-one action, by far the worst is dodging one-on-one from out top. Second worst is from behind. And then the wings are still really good, and they're in the 30s. Yeah, correct. Dodging up tops, uh, it's 25.8%, and it's by far the most common action. It's the easiest way to get your shot off, uh, but a lot of those, when you think about it, if you're starting your dodge from up top, top center, you're either going to get to your left hand with your stick to the outside or your right hand with your stick to the outside. Neither is a great option because you can't attack from up top and then get a shot off with your stick to the middle. It's just really tough. You got to yes. go to the high wing, the low wing. You got to, you're just, you're not going to beat your man in that direction unless you drive the alley and get a roll back. But that's what the defense plays, you know. So when you look at that dodging from out top, it's not just from top center, it's, it's alley dodges as well, right? You're counting those in. And I, I noticed, I think there was something like 4,000 dodges. You know, what, what, are the, what, are the, what are the actual numbers? Yeah. So over three years, 4,200 shots from up top. So that's alley dodges primarily. Yeah, yeah alley dodges. 2,700 dodges from X. And then there's nothing else where there's been 1,000 shots. So those make up, you know, the biggest piece of the pie. Uh, dodges from up top, dodges from X, which makes sense. You know, dodges from up top is probably where the short sticks are. Um, if you're only have one pole up top even if you have two you're gonna have a midfielder who can attack and dodges from x is probably where your best player is so you want to initiate from there a lot yeah no doubt really really interesting and and and, um looking at the uh the rattlers i mean i i got a chance to see firsthand last year as a defensive coordinator for the atlanta Blaze to try to figure out how to play two-man games defensively Obviously, we all, you know, know well the options are of either, you know, switching, getting through it, getting under it, or doubling it. The hard part about it is that it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all that you want in all situations, and that's where 
the gray area comes into being. You know, behind the net, you'd kind of rather be able to get underneath. Um, yeah, stay on your matchup. But then matchup. above the cage, you can't give any breathing room. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and, and, and you'd rather not, you know, you'd always, out top, you're kind of like, well, let's just switch it if we have to. But then all of a sudden, when the picks are really wide, it's like, why would we bother? We can get underneath this thing so easily. And, and you get Lyle Thompson sort of playing with you right on the two-point line there on his wing, and you're like, you really want to get underneath this thing. But at a certain point in time, you take a quick, quick look over your shoulder, to, and then he, and he shortcuts that pick and gets right to the net on you or whatever. So it's really hard. And I will say that one thing I learned from coaching at that level was the ability for the short sticks to process and communicate was so massively important that it was by far the most, in my opinion, the most important thing. Like covering somebody, you know, was, you know, there was some version of importance there, no question. But, but being able to process in the two-man game, to be able to recognize and process, process it and communicate what you wanted to do was just so critically important. Now let's talk about the Rochester Rattlers and some of what they do. Yeah, so the Rattlers obviously rely heavily on their guy at X like the Lizards do. Uh, but Jordan Wolf brings a bit of a different style. Um, he's a heavy pick-and-roll guy, especially now that a guy that we were talking about earlier, Jordan McIntosh is back. McIntosh is probably the best picker in the league. So when you have Wolf and McIntosh running those actions, it's really difficult because your rules are important. But if you give – you know, if you're off of Wolf for a second, he's going to get free for a shot. And if you let McIntosh slip through the cracks, there's nobody better at rolling to the net, catching and finishing. I just – I actually ran the numbers because we were talking about it today. Who, you know, who scores as a picker in those situations? Over those three years, McIntosh has led the league um, in assisted pick and roll goals by far. There's – there's not really anyone else close. Um, the other guys who are like in the conversation would be Kieran McCardle. I think he played a lot. Um, kind of some two man games at X with uh, Casey Powell in his first year. Uh, and then uh, Davey Emma has had a good amount of success playing that role. But as far as, as far as being the receiver on the pick and roll for goals. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but we were talking about it. There's not a lot of players in the league who are used to playing that style. I think indoor guys are kind of phased out of the league just because they're not available early in the year. And those are the guys who are the savviest pickers. You know, they yeah. play with their heads up. They're not just a body you're throwing at a defender uh, to create some space. They're, you know, they're going to pick, they're going to slip, they're going to get open, they're going to find space. Um, I think, you know, more guys like that, the more that you can incorporate into your offense – uh, is going to bring out the best in a guy like Jordan Wolf. You know, who's to say that Rob Pinnell wouldn't be playing the same style as Wolf does if he had a guy like McIntosh. I think Pinnell's teammates just aren't as used to playing that style. So it's an interesting little case study juxtaposing Wolf and Pinnell. Uh, but those actions, those Rattlers actions, they've been shooting 50% off any action, uh, any two-man game from X, which is – better than most teams man ups it's it's unbelievable ridiculous. and i can tell you this too like when we played rochester we we were we we just you can't keep you can't keep up with jordan wolf he's just too fast and so we basically defensively played it where we just put our we didn't even go behind the net with our picker we left our picker in front and we just basically turned it into a coma slide and 
and, you know, hope you threw it back to X and then we could like rotate and make somebody else do something with it. Cause if you get stuck back there, it's over He's yeah. so fast. It's like absurd. Now I mean, you, you saw me over a couple things that said we were talking about a second ago is, you know, this two man action yeah. versus two poles or big little or, 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 or two shorties. Two shorties. Yeah. You know, 22.7% is the shooting percentage off of two poles, two man games, 30. Yeah. 0.4% in the big little and 35.7 in the two shorties that, I mean, I always kind of knew this, but I didn't know it to that degree. That's like, um, that's, it's, it's pretty awesome. And it's, it's, are it's you a little, cool. so are yeah. you a little surprised by that? Because with two shorties, you would think your rules are a little simpler than big little. You shouldn't be worried about fighting through. You know why I'm not? Because this is where Jordan McIntosh, I bet you if you look at him, he does mostly short, short stuff. And because um, that's what I was going to say, like, it's usually not him and Wolf on the wing. It's usually him and a shorty. And basically what he does is he baits his man into, because what do you do when it's short, short? You switch. And he baits his man into switching. And then he just cuts to the net with his right hand and right in front of him on that yeah. wing. And they just throw it in there. And it's a goal. And it's like, damn it, we knew it was coming. I mean, we literally like, you know, but those, those guys are, are good at feeding it, and he's so good at setting his man up to think he has to switch, and then he's out of there, and he catches everything. And yes. he carries everything. Um, yeah, he does. It's, it's, you know, you, what you, to defend that, you just have to have the comfort that you're going to, like, you know, it's almost like playing an invert where you're going to, like, set up a slider who's going to go on the roll. And you either stay on the double or but you just know you're sending somebody. But they do a good job of clearing out the middle. That's another thing that happens in the MLL. There's just not a crease a lot of the time. Um, it's just not – it's not like there's a crease guy that you can just count on being in there. In college, in high school, there's more crease guys than the pros. They really kind of just drift. Everybody, you know, doesn't want to be on the crease, I think. So um, they just turn it into two on one side and four on the other. And, and then all of a sudden you just – and you got – and the thing is you got Jordan Wolf behind. So you yeah. just don't want to have anything to do with like showing off um, Jordan Wolf on the, you know, whereas most X guys, you might say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to occupy that space um, right in front of the pipe so that when you try to go, when Jordan McIntosh is handling this ball, you're going to be there. But um, you know, you, you just don't want to do that with, uh, with Wolf behind you have to cover him back there. He's just too explosive. So it's, it's possible that Wolf really does give, you know, that two-man wing on that side a massive advantage because of the way you have to respect his ability to catch and just blow by you. Yeah, absolutely. You see a lot of teams that um, – I mean, you don't see it often in the pros, but they'll just make it really tough for uh, Wolf to catch the ball. Um, I remember the championship uh, against Denver. They really took him out of the game in the second half, making it difficult for him to get it. Um, yeah. Kind of like what we saw with Jeff Teat down the stretch yeah. this spring. Yeah, and and it's and it's the other thing is just, you know maybe just pack it in on them so much that you just hope that you know you can you're not going to get at least get run by. You know we're back. To- the Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. You know, we're back to the alley shot concept. Um, I, I coached last year for, for Dave Huntley and um, the late, great Dave Huntley, uh, one of the best guys ever, uh, incredibly smart guy, loved analytics. Uh, he actually brought Jesse McNulty um, into the program last year. And you know Jesse, he's, a, he's another lacrosse analytics guy. He kind of got his 
his start in hockey and somehow fell in love with lacrosse. And he's been doing a ton of work on MLL stats. Um, and, um, and, and they looked at, I forget how many shots, but I think it might've been like 12 or 14,000 shots over the course of several years. Um, and, um, talk to us a little bit about what you know of, you know, as it relates to that alley shot sticks to the inside versus stick to the outside. Yeah. So Hans and Jesse found, they presented at LaxCon, uh, two years ago and their finding was that your shooting percentage skyrockets when you're in the same position on the field, but your stick is towards the middle of the field. So you call that your natural side. If you're a righty, you know, your, your sticks to that inside, um, it really increases your shooting percentage. I think in the middle of the field, the differences are not as noticeable, you know, once you're between those hash marks. But if you're, uh, at, the, if you're at the hashes and your sticks to the outside, it just decreases your angle so much. It's a huge concept in box obviously because the goalies have more padding, the nets are smaller. So every little bit of your angle helps in field, you know, you can get away with having your stick to the outside. I think we're taught a little bit to play with our stick to the outside because it's stick protection. You don't want your stick towards your defender. Um, but when you can get those shots, a lot of them are step down looks on the backside, you know, when you have your stick to the middle, but we're seeing more and more in this you know, especially in this league. And like I talked about with those two actions, two man games on the lefty wing, two man games on the righty wing, a lot of times start with guys on their natural side. You're rarely going to see maybe in like a pass down, pick down situation, you'll see a righty pick for a lefty. But a lot of times those guys are starting on their natural side where they're significantly more dangerous. It boosts like two or 3% to your shooting percentage to have your stick to the inside. Yeah, I notice um, on Jesse's stats, it's it's in every single position on the field, with the exception of dead center, where yeah. you know it's hard to have your stick to the. If you're dead center, your sticks to the outside, no matter what. So there's nothing you can do about it, I guess. Unless right. you do your typical Canadian shot with your hands straight over the head. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, Miles Thompson know, is, behind the back. Yeah, <laughs> backbreaker. Um, but. Um, you know, it's funny because it does seem counterintuitive, like, you know, the idea of stick to the outside and you think about stick protection. But, you know, the thing is, is that, um, you know, think about attackmen when they're coming. Think about the lefty attackman. Can he go left and right and still get his left? Yes. Right. So yeah. this is like what, you know, this is what's so funny. I do these. Um, I do uh, all these JM3 uh, video assessments of players and, and honestly, like the first thing that most people need to figure out is like, you would be so much more productive if you just got down to low wings. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just a fact. You, your stats are backing it up. And um, when you look at it, it's just so obvious. But, you know, the lefty attackman, it's like, he's all left, he's all left, he's all left. And well, he gets underneath him, he still scores at lefty. But he did go to his right. Or he comes topside and gets his left. Or he comes topside and he bounces and bounces out and gets a new angle. And and shoots it and he's still coming to the middle um and this is why i i believe that in teaching players how to play you teach them how to play on their natural side and believe it or not it is so it is so natural for players on their natural side they will catch it and face dodge and come back to their right they'll catch and hitch and go and get their strong hand they'll face dodge and roll back to the middle and they'll it's intuitive more so than you would think whereas 
you know, what, what's also not intuitive is, position, is, is being able to carry to your weak hand to get to where you want to get to. And that's why so many, many minis just settle for their strong hand alley dodge. And, you know, you, you reference box lacrosse. Box lacrosse is, is a sport where it's a four by four net. If you don't get to the middle, you'll never score. And yeah. so growing up, you know, I have, the, I have a contention that I don't care who you are. If you, you could be the never have coached before, you could be the greatest coach ever, the worst coach ever. You're going to, if you were to take a group of youth kids, you're going to develop them faster in the box environment than the field environment, just because the environment in and of itself, the touches and the small net and getting to the middle and all of that stuff. But back to the sticks to the middle thing. It's just, it's fascinating. And Hans used to talk about it all the time. And another guy who talks about it is Nick Myers. And he really changed his way he plays and just said, look, we don't want alley shots. We got to get, we got to do everything come into the middle. Um, and it doesn't mean, you know, you could go watch Ohio state film. There's going to be a few alley shots, but, 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 but really, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's more of a big picture concept, but it's uh, it's really, really fascinating stuff. Right. And Ohio state, when you have guys like Trey LeClaire and Eric Fennell, one on either wing and they're attacking, like you said, if Trey LeClaire, if Trey LeClaire is initiating from that righty wing, he can go topside to his right or he can go underneath to his right. And he's so big and so strong that he can go underneath and end up putting a stick back to the middle and get a quality shot. Especially oh. in the bros where that crease dive is an option. There's right. nowhere as a defender to push the guy. You can't push him topside. You can't push him underneath because they're both good shots. Where if you're dodging from up top, you can push him either side. Sure, go either, you know, take this alley or take that alley. Neither is a great look. Um, you know, out of those four lives, right? We need like, to bring back the dive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If we're, uh, yeah, if we're, that could be a whole nother podcast. But that, if, That's a good one. My, <laughs> my, my, I played for Dom Stars at Brown. Dom went to Virginia, and he had the ultimate divers in Doug Knight, Michael Watson, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, Whiteley. And these guys, and then all of a sudden he's on the rules committee and he goes to the meetings and he comes out and then there's no more dive. I'm like, Dom, you got to be kidding me. No more dive. I guess this kid's graduated. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but man, so, dive is such a great place. So I like to, I like to give Dom a hard time about that, but <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, so this is a small sample size because we don't see a ton of zone in the pros, but people always bring up zone being the one thing, like the one the biggest reason against the shot clock in college saying that every team's just going to play zone, but it, then the, you know, the counter is okay. Put in a two point arc and just, uh, a shot clock because then teams won't play zone because the two point arc, I think even more so than the two point arc, I'm not a fan of the two point line in college. Um, but I am a fan of the crease dive and the shot clock being implemented at the same time. Because if you look at the few teams who did play zone last year, it was mostly the Lizards for stretches. Uh, a lot of teams will do it with low time on the shot clock on an inline restart. Um, like the Bayhawks put it in at the end of the year. But if you look at the goals that were scored against zones, a lot of them were crease dives. Because really? it's really tough to hold goal line extended against somebody at X, you know, depending on what, like, what your zone principles are, like what, you know. Well, lizards, lizards in particular played with a two short sticks down low, the old Tony Seaman. Exactly. Yeah. They're not going to pressure much anymore, but that that's how they played it. And I can totally see your ability to just like dive right around. It's such a great play. It's got to come back.
But hey, back to the um, one more comment that yeah, I've never talked to you about before that's super interesting, though, is that I, I believe, and I don't have the stats to back it up, but maybe you can put this on your list, but um, I think that you create more offense when you dump the ball to X with your stick to the inside than with your stick to the outside. I think that when you get underneath hard um, and have your stick to the inside and, and, and you're able to deliver a pass to X with your stick to the inside, that that it causes the defense to collapse, to, to, to slide to you longer and collapse farther than when you put your stick to the outside and draw attention and, and, and bang it to X with your stick to the outside. I, I've always noticed this. I don't have – I actually don't have proof. But, you know, it's like you watch Denver. They're, they're incredible at, at, you know, um, throwing the ball to X. And, and yet, when the Canadians do it with their sticks to the inside, it's almost always a goal. Remember Zach Miller being able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. He was a great player anyways, but, but, um, but he would dodge on the wrong side. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with dodging on the wrong side and throwing to X with your, with your, you know, with your strong hand. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, you got a pole on you and you're going to have to throw it to X with your weak hand. I mean, it's, it happens. But, but if you can beat a guy underneath badly enough that you can deliver a pass to X with the stick to, your stick to the middle – um, I, I think it brings up a, a better chance for the next pass. What do you think about that? That's interesting. Yeah, I'd like to look at that. Now I'm just picturing, you know, slides to alley dodges. And I guess when you slide to an action like that, it's easier for the original on-ball guy to peel off and start the recovery, I guess. Is that what you're saying? That if you're, you know, dodging no. hard with your stick to the middle – so on a wing dodge, just think you're on a, you're lefty and you're on the wing. If you split to your right hand and it looks, you know, you don't have a whole lot of angle. They're not as worried about the shot. They may be sliding, but they're not like they, they you have to, when you deliver the ball, um, they can see it coming and you almost veer off to make that pass sometimes as opposed to like leaning in. And you could lean in and, and kick it that way too. But but when you're when you're going underneath, if you're lefty and you're going underneath. And let's say you hold it with one hand like Zach Miller would. You're getting under, and now you're bringing your stick back to a shooting posture. They have to, like, keep coming to you. And it basically makes the slide slide longer. Right. Which makes the recovery and, – and then it makes the, the ensuing collapse happen more drastically. So maybe you'll, maybe you can put that one on your list and check it out. I, I think it's a super interesting – Concept. I, I mentioned it to Mike Mobison, and he was like, "Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting." Also, but um, you know, we'll have to take a look at that. Now, you guys do on Moneyball Lacrosse. I really enjoyed it. it's box lacrosse season up in Canada right now. Actually, I was watching the uh, Junior Adenax get a big win last night over the Salmon Bellies, which they needed. They tied the series up two two. My son plays for the Adenax, um, and uh, so I was watching some some a fair amount of box lacrosse today, and I went through all of your Moneyball lacrosse.com all the write-ups on the on the indoor stuff and um and also this week we did a really cool i did a really cool game breakdown with paul day of a, of a peterborough lakers and a Brooklyn redmond game and we were talking about nation's looks you've done tell us about how you kind of took uh what the nba does in there and in, in the way they look at two-man game and the way you applied it to the nll and then talk about you know, nation's looks, two men, all that type of stuff, and, and share share some of those thoughts because it's super interesting. Yeah, so in the indoor game, we tracked sets a little bit differently than we did uh, in field. Field, we're really focused on um, 
like offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency. I think that's what drove us to get to where we wanted to go. Uh, indoor, we really just wanted to look at shots, and there's so many of them, such a big sample size. And we really wanted to look at not just the action that initiated the shot, like we were talking about earlier. If, um, if you know, Dylan Malloy dodges from the left wing, draws a slide, makes a pass, makes another pass, and then Connor Busick gets a step-down shot, that's still marked down as the initiations to dodge from the left wing. In the indoor game, the shooter himself was tagged with his role, whether he was the pick-and-roll ball handler, whether he was the roll man, uh, an off-ball cutter, um, a spot-up guy, an off-ball screener. So the shooter and the passer each had a role. So what we were able to do was take all of the shots taken by pick-and-roll roll men and that were fed by players other than the pick and roll ball handler ball handler so essentially like you said the nation's concept the two pass pick and roll so we know that it wasn't just your ordinary um, pick and roll ball handler throws it to the roll man and he takes his shot so the nation's concept we dug up the numbers i got them right here okay when fed by the pick-and-roll operator, Rollman shot 13.5%. When they were fed by anyone else on the floor, so pick-and-roll ball handler throws it across the, uh, across the box back to the Rollman, is 25.8%. So almost double wow. from 135 to 258 Obviously, it's a tougher look to find, but I think once, especially in, uh, the, in the box game where they're so physical with the picks, it might be different in field. I'd be interested in seeing it because they don't, you know, double team and rough up the ball handler as aggressively in field just because there's so much space. But um, for, for those looks, you know, to like come to fruition, um, I think using that third party, that passer who kind of has his head up, he's probably in a better position to make a pass, you know, an accurate pass than the actual pick and roll ball handler. And it really gets the defense moving. It gets those two guys out of position. And you'd say you're playing a temporary four-on-three, right, if they double-team the pick. And he's able to get it off to somebody and the roll man's going free. It's just a guy streaking in the middle of the floor. So I thought it was really interesting to see those looks. Nobody did it better than the Saskatchewan rush. Uh, and I know uh, Coach Day is a big proponent of them. I actually yeah. talked to him before, oh, you did? before that article. Yeah, um, Yeah, he was talking a lot about it. It's – it's so cool. And you, so, so, so for all the listeners out there, the two pass pick and roll, you know, when you think about a pick and roll, you think about, you know, that someone sets a pick, you dodge off of it, you draw the switch and you feed the roll man. And so you're saying that's 13.5%. And whereas if we throw it across the floor to somebody else and they feed that roll man, it's 25.8%. I mean, that, that's just an unbelievable stat. And so you say, now you look at the stats, now you got to go look at the video and say, why? That's why it's so important to be able to look at video and look at stats. And so, I mean, there's so many reasons. I know that my, when my son was playing intermediate lacrosse, there was a guy named Pete Tellis, who's a great lacrosse mind. Um, and he coaches, I think he's coaching, um, maybe coaching Burnaby seniors. He's, he, he coached Coquitlam seniors. He coached the Coquitlam intermediates. He was really, really good lacrosse guy. And he literally wouldn't let his team feed a pick and roll. He wouldn't let them feed it. You always had to throw it away from, from the pick and let them feed it if you're going to feed it at all. And the idea is that 
you know, a good defense is just basically putting up a wall in a zone. They're, they're designating a slider, zoning things up the same way you do in field lacrosse, and, and you can rotate to it. And, and that's, you know, for a lot of reasons, that's why, um, that's why this works so well. But also because you can't really guard both sides of the floor at the same time and double team and help on it. So all of a sudden you've got, you know, people helping in ready to rotate to this, to the pass on the pick and roll, but then you've, you know, so say the lefty is running a pick and roll. It, there's a defender ready to rotate. If you zip it over to the righties, now they have to go play it. And now you can feed that. And that by nature of your positioning on your pick, you have a step to the goal on your man. So it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I will say that for coaches on this, on this call, and I mentioned this when I was with Coach Day, there might be no better way to teach lacrosse to young players from a skill and an IQ perspective than to teach nations looks with your two-man game because it teaches everybody how to do the things that you need to do, which is attack the middle with your dodge, move the ball really fast, the feeder being able to identify the open man before he gets it, the, the, the picker cutting to the net, the do initial dodger looking for his give and go because that's there all the time as well. There's all different angles on it, and um, it's funny. I, I coached at Mountain Vista High School. We did that for around four years ago. We just worked on it ad nauseum. I'm not a big play guy, so I'm not sure. We probably didn't run it in games very often, if at all. We probably should have. It was probably stupid not to. But, man, our players learn how to move the ball and get their heads up. So it's, it's, really, it's really cool, um, the nation's look. It, let me ask you, let's talk about why it doesn't happen in field lacrosse as much. What are some of your thoughts on that? I was actually going to ask you that. Uh, if it's a product of six players on the field versus five in the box, just um, it's maybe easier or easier to flood the ball side and, you know, make that, that pass to the weak side more difficult with six defenders than it is with five. Because obviously, you know, you draw a slide and, the field game it's not as easy to find that two-on-one find the open guy find the advantage as it might be in the box where there's fewer players I don't know if that's a yeah. factor in it. well I think I think because you can designate sliders a little bit more easily um it's it's harder to roll to the net anyway yeah although you although the same argument of hey if you swung it to the other side why couldn't you feed it and you probably can obviously the long poles factor in I think you know pick Pick, picking and slipping to the perimeter and getting shots off and throwing back to that slip is, is, is really effective in field lacrosse because you can shoot from more range and from the wings more easily than you can in box where you really got to kind of go to the net. So I think that's part of it. But you know where I see it happen a lot, and it doesn't get classified necessarily as a nation's look. But you and I talked about it a little bit. But, like, um, if you – let's just say you're in some kind of a pairs offense and you dodge a hard righty alley – and uh, or any offense where you've got a crease where they're going to slide off the crease and you throw it to X and then you throw it to that crease guy who might who might go to a follow spot. He might cut to the ball. But when you you know, I kind of call it mirror nations there because it's kind of the same idea. I mean, as opposed to picking where you're bringing your slide and your switch to the ball, you're just positioning your man in a, in a way that if he slides, you're open. And instead of throwing the ball to that guy, throw it to X and let him feed that guy. I call it reverse it to the follow is what I would, what I would classify that as. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty cool um, little uh, 
it's a pretty cool little look that you see. Denver does a ton of that. You know, Duke will do that. Um, who were you talking about? Maryland was getting that look a lot. I forget. We talked about this, right? What was that? I can't remember what it was. Something it was some piece that you did in the playoffs. It might have been. It might have been Cornell actually. No, it was Cornell with T. T would set picks and they'd throw it to X and reverse it right yeah. to him. And it was a nation's look. But that pick and throwing it to X and reversing it to him is no different than if your man just slides. So I think that's where you see that nation's concept a little bit more in field lacrosse. But but I I don't think that many people work on it you know, that much. And I think that you know, like I said developmentally it's 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 as good as it gets because everybody has to get the ball out of their stick fast and play smart and move the ball it's really it's really interesting um hey let's talk a little bit about assisted goals versus unassisted goals and some of the stats that go along with that and then some of the you know things that maybe are the myths and truths you know like not everybody is you know better at what you think they'd be better at yeah, so this is a big – this is, like, one of the main things that I wanted to start tracking um, because, like, I talked about when I was interning for the Cannons writing up the post-game you know, press release, how do you compare Matt Poskay's hat trick to Paul Rabel's hat trick? You know, like, did Paul Rabel shoot in three for seven all off the dodge? Was that, like, a should he have been player of the game as compared to Poskay who – shot three for four all off the catch. Like, how do you compare those shots? Um, which are, you know, which is the easier look? Uh, what is the value of having a guy who can create his own shot? Because if you have no shot creators on your team, you're never going to draw a slide and your finishers aren't going to get open. So, like, what's that balance? What's the recipe to find, like, your optimal six guys that you want to put on the field? So, we started tracking every shot as either off the dodge or off the catch. Um, you know, who was the passer? Was there a passer on that shot? So, again, like picks at a macro level, they're good. A pass is good for your shooting percentage. It's going to boost your shooting percentage by a few percent. An unassisted shot over the last few years, it's, it's changed every year, but it's usually somewhere like 26 27% where an assisted shot can be as high as 32% across the league so it's pretty significant Honestly, pretty significant yeah you got to factor in like the the hidden costs of making that pass you know like you're more uh, you're at a higher risk for a turnover when you make a pass than when you're just shooting off the dodge so it's not like it's that much more of an efficient play but it's a uh, that much more efficient of a shot yeah so when you look at those, there are some players who obviously only take assisted shots, some players who only take unassisted shots. Not every player is better at catch-and-shoot looks like you would think. Some players are better off the dodge, like a ball-dominant guy like Ned Crotty, Mike Chanichuk, those guys are much better off the dodge. Jordan Wolf's maybe not necessarily poor off the catch, but he just doesn't get a lot of those shots. You never see him taking those. Um, so – I think it's really interesting to look at the different types of makeups of certain offenses. Like if you look at Ohio, their championship run last year and that offense they had together for a long time, Cockerton was kind of an off ball guy, but he has a dodging game. And you could say the same for Holman Holman's probably the best off ball player in the league. And he also has a decent dodging game. Um, all those players, might have been ball dominant in college, but they all missed because they can excel in both situations. So they're not uh, invisible when they're off the ball. 
I think it's a big reason why you're seeing the Lizards offense being more successful after they brought in Will Manny. A lot of people's reaction was, okay, another big name, another guy that I know. People think that he's a quarterback because he was in college, but you got to credit him for really changing his game and becoming an off-ball player in the pros. He still has a dodging game when they need it, but he's been able to play. He's the perfect guy that they needed alongside Rob Pinnell and Paul Rabel. You can't compliment Pinnell and Rabel with, you know, Wild Thompson on one side and Josh Byrne on the other. Right. It's going to be tough because all those guys take, you know, 80, 90% of their shots off the dodge. So what are they doing off ball? You need that balance. And that's why we were talking earlier about, um, you know, Mike Mobison's stats on, on Canadians and how, you know, over the last, since 2012, Canadians are shooting at a 34% clip and Americans are shooting at a 28% clip. And, um, you know, the truth is the Canadians tend to play a role where they're, you know, where they're, they're just taking shots off the catch. They're not necessarily having to dodge as often. I mean, it's not to say none of them. I mean, certainly Chris Cloutier is getting to the goal pretty well, but you know, in, in a lot of his games where he gets five, six, seven, eight, nine goals, there's a, there's a bunch of goals that are off the catch there. You know, right. A lot of those. Yeah. Guys like Westberg and Trey LeClaire certainly have a dodging game. Right. Uh, maybe a guy like Mark Matthews is more off ball. Uh, I'd say probably overall, obviously we don't have the numbers on it, but they probably are taking better shots, but they also know how to get better shots because like we talked about that box concept of having your stick to the middle, right. starting on your natural side and attacking the middle. When they are shooting off the dodge, they're probably starting from a better area and keeping their stick to the middle. How often do you see, you know, I mean, maybe UNC is the team that comes to mind where you have Canadian midfielders who might shoot down the alley, but even a guy like Tanner Cook, he's getting his left hand back to the middle of the field when he's driving the alley. Yeah, most of the time. I mean, he dodges the occasional lefty alley, you know, as you mentioned, but yeah, no, no question. It'll be interesting to see a stat on, um, on the effectiveness of shooting and finishing with twisters. Yeah. Yeah, it's really something like that gets your stick back to the middle for one, but a lot of times they do they, they shoot their twister when they're on their natural side and they're faking a reach and then they twist her back to the near side. And oh man, this kid, um, it's pretty funny. You know, you watch the Coquitlam Adonax and they've got Chase Scanlon on the team and he was on the Canadian national team. I mean, the Iroquois national team. And uh, you've got, um, you know, like it's over the years, it's like who, who, who's who. And then you've got this kid, Denon Armstrong, that isn't you know it's like ah great player doesn't really feel like going to college he's had a million people offer him and he shot the most nasty twister you've ever seen on on power play last night it was just uh it was almost cruel how good of a shot it was but that's a shot that I think would be really interesting in statting and sort of seeing like all right just changing you know change basically it's like a curveball kind of I mean it gives you a whole new angle and if you're if you're in tight to the goal it allows you to throw it around the goalie as if you were switching hands. And if you're farther from the goal, it allows you to throw what's almost seems like a curveball. So you can throw it back to the same, you know, back against the grain and it gives the illusion that you're going, you know, so if you're a lefty, it may look like you're, you're twisting into the, to the right pipe, but you're actually throwing it back to the left pipe. And those shots are unbelievably effective. Um, and it would be really cool if there were stats on that. Yeah. Uh, that would be an interesting one to chart. I just, I don't know so if we see it, but you're right. Yeah, next year. <laughs> They're like, uh, it reminds me of 
like a toe drag in hockey. Like the goalie squares up the puck and then all of a sudden you move it and it completely changes the goalie's angle and he doesn't have time to readjust himself. That's a huge point in box too, the way that these guys like basically backpedal and, and, and create new angles. And it's one of the reasons why they lift their sticks up straight over their head because it gives them more near side angle and they can still curve it to the far side. It's really interesting. You know, um, one of the things that I, you know, I showed you before we got on the call on the call here, uh, officially, I showed you the, um, the stats that I do for my video assessments. And we've talked a lot about the combination of, you know, analytics and, and video. But when you think about our sport in lacrosse, you know, to me, it just seems like the world really hasn't understood the value of video and analytics like it has been the way it's being valued in other sports. I mean, you think about golf, would you ever, you know, get serious about golf and not use video to analyze your swing yet, yet people are spending so much time and money on lacrosse and literally never getting an expert analysis on and much less metrics on their play. What are your thoughts about that as it relates to players getting better and coaches trying to get better? Yeah, it's, uh, it's crucial to your development. There are so many, I think lacrosse, it's said often, um, but there are so many different ways to play it. You don't have to be the biggest, strongest, fastest. You can be a guy like a Jordan Wolf or a Jeff T who in Jordan Wolf's case uses his speed, straight line speed. Jeff T is kind of slippery as a Dodger. Um, Kevin Rice is a big footwork guy. All of these guys have, different elements to their game that you can incorporate. It's not like you can just watch one player. If you're picking up a lacrosse stick, watch one guy and say, okay, yeah, I, I watched Kyle Harrison film. Now I know lacrosse. Now I know how to play lacrosse because you might play like Kyle Harrison, which isn't a bad thing, <laughs> you know, but you could be maybe, you know, you just don't have Kyle Harrison's six uh, skill set. Maybe you're like a big slow footed guy and, like, why are you watching Kyle Harrison split dodges? Because you're never going to shake anyone out of their shoes. You got to watch somebody who's tailored for you, like somebody who dodges and uses their body. Like, watch Dylan Malloy play. You know? Yeah, exactly. The common, the common denominator between uh, Wolf and Teat uh, and Rice is, you know, if you were running a lacrosse camp and they were working, they would. This happened to me with Michael Watson. I was like, hey, what's up, buddy? I thought he was a camper at first. Because <laughs> they're just like they're not like huge guys, but you know, but this is like it's kind of funny. But those guys, all three of those guys, are really smart, and they and they know how to play to their strengths. And um, and so you know, in in college lacrosse, you know, talking to Nick Myers, talking to you know all of the guys that I've done these interviews with, they're either already just crushing their 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 video work on an individual basis with their players and using analytics, or they are they've made a decision they're going to do that. And um, I, I guess the, my, you know, my newfound love is, is watching video and looking and seeing how you can help players be better. And by looking at their, by looking at, you know, advanced stats and by looking from a quantitative perspective and then looking at exactly what they're doing and how can you can make it better. I mean, it's pretty simple to just say, Hey, get to the low wing, <laughs> but you know what, that might be the difference in, you know, that might be the difference in shooting 30% versus 15%, which is, you know, might be 20 goals over a season. 
So it's, it's, it's a, it's a big difference. You know, it's a really big difference, but uh, Joe, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the uh, philosophy podcast. This has been super interesting. Um, I really love your work at uh, moneyballlacrosse.com. And uh, I recommend anybody that's into lacrosse, check it out. And um, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch down the line. Yeah, of course. We'll be in touch. Appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Cool. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool.